Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. In these first five verses that we've studied already, you see the... The, the contrast that the Apostle Paul makes between what the life of a believer ought to be, the things that be, are becoming for saints, and what the, what the life of the world is. And so in verse 6 now, where we pick up for today, Paul says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. And what he's talking about is these things that he's just described, that there would be people who would come along that would um, either, you know, either corrupt the grace of God or outright deny God's word and say, no, you know, God doesn't really care about those things. Um, you know, they would come along and they would say, it's, it's okay, we're, we're under grace, you can, you can do these things, and it doesn't matter anymore to God. In fact, uh, just in the news recently, another, another uh, large denomination that professes to be Christian is now going to uh, ordain uh, homosexual pastors, you know, which would be the exact kind of thing that these verses are saying you should not be doing. And they're taking and making the things that characterize their denomination to be the the sins that they stand up for and, and defend instead of standing up for and defending God's word. And, you know, that's that's the inevitable result of of really turning away from the Word of God as the absolute standard. And you can look at every one of those denominations that's doing that, and over time you'll see more and more that do that. In fact, I, I predict you will begin to see uh, denominations that today you would never think uh, would, would endorse some of these things, that ten years from now you'll see even some of them uh, endorsing many of these things. And it, it's, it's just the end result of getting rid of the final authority. You see, the, when the Word of God is the authority, you have a set, fixed standard. And when you turn away from that, you may, you may be able to continue in some outward form of morality for some period of time, but once you've, you've undermined the foundation and you've taken away the Word of God as the absolute standard, now you're just out there tossed to and fro. And that's an important thing to, you know, to, to realize as a group. It's an important thing to understand individually as well that your, your uh, moral values and things are not just, they shouldn't be just the product of your upbringing and, and that kind of thing. You need to examine your views and your worldview and your lifestyle and hold it up to God's word and say, what does God's word say? Because that's the authority. And so Paul warns that people would come along with vain words, empty words. Realize that when you hear somebody and they're going to talk about any, any kind of topic, you need to be able to identify pretty quickly what their standard is. And if their standard isn't the word of God, then you need to be careful about anything they say. It may look good on the outside, but be empty. And so he warns about those who would come with these vain words. And he reminds the Ephesians that these things, these things he's warning them against, he reminds them that it's because of these things that the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You see, those things are worthy of the wrath of God. And God's grace does not change the wrath of God towards sin. 
In fact, for, for you and I as a believer, we understand that the wrath that we deserve because of our sin is what Christ suffered on the cross of Calvary. I hope, I hope you understand that. I hope you realize that what Christ suffered on the cross of Calvary was not just a cruel form of Roman torture. I mean, certainly he, he suffered that. But what killed the Lord Jesus Christ and the real suffering that he suffered was the wrath of God himself. And the wrath of God puts the wrath of the Romans to, to shame, to naught. The Lord Jesus Christ bore the guilt of the sin of the world and suffered the wrath that was due for it. That means he suffered for your sins, he suffered for my sins, he suffered for terrible acts that have been committed. And, and if you can just imagine, the, if, if you were to take all of that sin and to put it on one person and have that person become guilty for it, what would they deserve as punishment? That's what Christ suffered. And Christ suffered the wrath of God in our place. Now, we are not going to suffer the wrath of God because when you trust the gospel, God treats it as if the wrath you deserve, it's been paid. It's been paid in Christ. And so we don't, as believers, don't have to fear the wrath of God in in the sense of the the, uh, judicial penalty for our sins. But understand that There are some people that do need to fear the wrath of God. There are some people upon whom the wrath of God cometh, and it calls them the children of disobedience. Do you realize that, you know, as much as you hear people say things like, people will say, we're all the children of God, right? Many, Many good works have been done around the world with the basis of the idea that we're all the children of God. And, you know, that's not true biblically. You know, we're not all the children of God. Um... The, what, what the scripture says is that to as, to as many as received Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Right? When, when somebody believes the gospel, they become a child of God. You're not born into this world as a child of God. You're born into this world as a child of disobedience. You're born into this world as a, uh, someone who by nature is in rebellion to God. And when, when people make that statement and they say we're all children of God... Think about how that reflects on God. I mean, that that statement is made to to emphasize the idea that we ought to care for one another. And and certainly the Bible teaches us as Christians that we're to do good to all men, especially to them in the household of faith. But that doesn't mean that everybody's a child of God. Um, You know that a a child reflects back on their parents, right? Do you think God really would claim most people in this world as his children? Um, that, That wouldn't reflect very well on God. Uh, but believers are the children of God. But you see that, that the wrath of God, the wrath of God is not something that's going to come on the children of God. It's something that's going to come on the children of disobedience. And it's because of those, you know, those things, that wickedness, that the wrath of God comes. Grace has never changed God's standard of justice. Understand that. What grace did was it provided a payment that satisfied God's justice. So that those who put their faith in that payment and the one who made that payment, those who put their faith in that already had their, their payment made. So it didn't, it didn't do away with God's justice. I think many people, in, um, in their understanding of the Bible, they kind of think that God in the Old Testament was just mean and, and bad and, you know, just terrible. But in the New Testament, that's where God turned good. But you understand, God was good all along. 
It wasn't that God was mean back there in the Old Testament because he gave them all those things they they couldn't do. And God's standard of justice isn't any different in the New Testament than it was in the Old Testament. It's just that God himself provided the payment. And the same things that were sins as far as moral sins. You understand there's changes as far as, you know, there's many things that were ceremonial for Israel that we aren't under today. You understand that. But... um, the things that were moral sin in the Old Testament are still moral sin today. And you see, that's why the wrath of God is coming on the children of disobedience. Now the point is, if that's the reason why the wrath of God is going to come on the children of disobedience, how dare a believer do, do damage to the grace of God or, or twist the grace of God in such a way as to say that we as believers can do the things that bring wrath on the children of disobedience. And, you know, even, even above and beyond that, for us as believers, realize that your sin had to be paid for by Christ. And so, if as a believer, if we live a lifestyle of sin, those are things that had to be paid for. Those are things that required a, a, a price to be paid. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Right? What that does, the, all the law could ever be was an external restraint on the actions of man. The scripture says that it was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It, it was an external restraint. It said, if you do these things, then here's the penalty. If you, if you steal, you're going to have to pay restitution. If you commit murder, your life will be taken. And, and the law, it, when you look at the, at the law of God, it is the, the most just law, much more just than any, any law that you've ever seen created by man because it really is the embodiment of God's justice. Right? And... What God's grace does, though, is that when you receive the grace of God, there's some changes that take place on the inside. See, the the law was a restraint on the outside without ever changing the inside. But grace changes some things on the inside so that now your motivation can be to serve God, not just on the basis that if I don't, I'm going to be punished, but on the basis that I'm something different now. I'm not one of those children of disobedience. Why should I act like one of those children of disobedience? You say, if, if those things that they do are the things that are going to bring the wrath of God on them, then probably I shouldn't do them, right? And so he reminds them of that, that it's because of those things that the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye, verse 7, therefore partakers or participants with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, Walk as children of light. Now, I want you to notice, it doesn't just say you walked in darkness or you were in darkness. It says you were darkness. Again, when you read these verses, it it causes you to, to really be honest about who you were. We don't like to hear that. We like to hear a message. We like to hear a message like you hear from the, the TV preachers where they're going to tell you about how, how if you just follow your heart, how good everything will be and, and how you have to find God within and, and that kind of thing. And our flesh doesn't like to hear that it's darkness. It doesn't like to hear that it's dead. Right? We want, we want something that's going to build us up and, and tell us how good we are. It's no wonder that a lot of people don't like to read the scripture. Because they come to it and it convicts them and it condemns them, right? And this verse says, ye were sometimes darkness. And if we're going to be honest about who we were before we were saved 
And if you're going to be on, and if you're not saved here this morning, if if you haven't trusted in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are dark. You're still in that state. You weren't sometimes darkness. You are darkness right now. For those that are saved, it says, "Ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord." Just as you were, you didn't just walk in darkness. You were darkness. As a believer, you are light. You you aren't just in the light. You aren't just walking in light. You don't just have light available to you. You are light. And in these verses that are, that are coming up, that we're coming to, we see really how grace works. The, the law works very much like, a, like a, a carrot and a stick, right? And sometimes you get the carrot and sometimes you get the stick. And the law says, do this, you do these things, you achieve this level of obedience, and you'll receive life. That's how, that's how the law works. That's not how grace works. You see, it says, ye were sometimes darkness, now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. What grace does is grace says, you are, by God's grace, something new. You're something new. Not work hard enough and you'll become something new. You are something new. Now, walk as who you are. Don't be what you, what you used to be, but be who you are now in Christ. See, you are light, and the mess, to paraphrase is walk like it. Walk like who you are. Verse 9, he says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. You see, the, the, the fornication, the uncleanness, all those things, that's not, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not the fruit of God's grace. That's not uh, something that God's grace produces in you. But rather, the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10 says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Now, the word prove there has a sense of, of, of testing and discerning. And the way you do that is not by always letting your conscience be your guide, because your conscience isn't always a very good guide, right? And your conscience certainly is not an absolute standard, because there are things that might bother your conscience that wouldn't bother my conscience, and there might be things that bother my conscience that wouldn't bother yours. Uh, there, there are some cases where our consciences are too strict, and there's many consciences, or many cases where our consciences are not strict enough. It's, it's not an absolute standard. It's a relative standard. Your conscience is shaped by your, your upbringing. It's shaped by things you experience, and, and it's not an absolute standard. But how do you prove what is acceptable to the Lord? You come to that absolute standard of God's word. You come to the final authority. And that's where you'll prove what's acceptable to him. Now understand that as as a believer, you are accepted by the Lord. You are accepted. You're made accepted in the beloved, in Christ. But that doesn't mean everything you do is acceptable unto the Lord. And the believer has this responsibility to prove, to test, to discern what things are acceptable to the Lord and to, again, to walk as children of light, to walk in love. Verse 11 says... And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now that's a verse that challenges me because it doesn't say have little fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It doesn't say limit your fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. It says have no fellowship with it. 
now, you know, Paul's, Paul's clear in other passages that he's not talking about, uh, you know, somehow secluding yourself off somewhere uh, away from the world. I mean, if, if you were to do that, you wouldn't have the ability to, to follow so many of the things that God commands as far as sharing the gospel with people and letting your, your uh, life be a light to them. But uh, uh, if you go back, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and just let me show you this, this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. So if you were, were going to try and live your life in such a way that you would never have company with fornicators, you would have to li- literally leave the world. Right? He, and now, he makes clear in the context of this passage in 1 Corinthians, he says, But now have I written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, a covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, a drunkard, extortioner, with such an one, know not to eat. He says, uh, What have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. And, but, but here in Ephesians, so, you know, there in 1 Corinthians, again, he's, he's clear, he's not saying you, you shouldn't have any contact with these things, but it's different to, to have contact with it and to have fellowship with it, right? I mean, you, you can have contact with all kinds of people just walking down the street. That doesn't mean you're having fellowship with them. Um, you know, fel- to, to have fellowship, um, some people have, have divine, defined it with the, the clever definition that it means fellows in the same ship, and that's a good way to remember what the, the word means. Um, it, it means to, to, have, to have something in common is what it's talking about. Uh, to share something in common. And he says, we aren't to have any fellowship, have no fellowship with those works of darkness. And again, that's, that's something that challenges me because um, you know, we all ought to be very careful in our lives about what things we allow ourselves to have fellowship with. And what it says, you know, the, as we've come down through these these practical passages here in chapter 4 and chapter 5 that are dealing with these issues of sin and, and lifestyle and these kinds of things. We've seen how Paul almost never tells you to stop doing one thing without telling you something to do in its place. Okay, He, he gives you a replacement. And this is something that has been recognized, I mean, by, by uh, secular counselors and things, that just trying to stop doing a certain action... Is, is often very fruitless. Because the more you're trying to stop doing that action, the more you're thinking about the action. And it, you know, it's a very difficult thing. But if you can find something to replace that activity with, you see, you can, you can overcome bad habits and, and that kind of thing in that way much easier than just trying to stop the activity without replacing it with anything. Because you take this, this activity or this sin or even a, a mindset that's been a part of your life and you... You just try and get rid of that, and it creates this vacuum. And many times people have, you know, people who just in their flesh are trying to overcome certain addictions or different things. They might overcome one thing, but something else just as bad comes in to fill up that void. And so what the scripture often does is it tells you, okay, stop doing this thing, but fill that, that void with something else. Replace it with something else. 
And that's what he does here. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But he doesn't just leave you there. He says, but rather reprove them. That word reprove means to to rebuke, to admonish. And this is, is... one of the things that the world very much dislikes about Christians. They don't mind it if, if Christians just believe what they want to believe and, and you know, uh, go to their church and, and you know, do, do what they want in private. But as Christians, we're told not just to separate ourselves from the unfruitful works of darkness, but to actively reprove the works of darkness. Um, you, you know, think about the the things that you struggle with, sins that you struggle with in your life. And rather than, you know, just, just trying to put all the effort into get, getting rid of that thing, what if you started putting in some effort into reproving that wherever you find it, whether you be, be in yourself or, or someone else? Um, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying don't have fellowship with it, but don't, don't just get rid of that fellowship. Instead, reprove them. And you know, if you reprove the works of darkness, that, in most cases, is going to pretty much guarantee that you won't be able to have fellowship with the things of, of darkness, right? Um, I mean, if, if you're reproving a certain sin, the people who are involved in that sin aren't going to want to have anything to do with you because of that reproof. And again, I think I, I maybe said it last time, that... In many cases, if, if we'll live the lives that we ought to live as believers, separation from the world doesn't become something you even have to do because the world will separate from you. See, And, and so Paul here, beyond just saying stop doing these things, he's saying we have a place in reproving the works of darkness. Now that's something that can be, can be difficult to do. Um, it, it oftentimes especially uh, can, can be difficult because we know our own hypocrisy oftentimes in those things, right? I mean, it can be hard to, to reprove somebody else for something that you have done or are continuing to do. When it comes to having a, a hatred of sin, as we've talked about in previous messages, the best place for that to begin is to hate it in your own life. Hate it in yourself before you hate it in other people. And reprove it in yourself before you reprove it in other people. And, and uh, we do have that, that place to reprove the works of darkness. Verse 12, continuing on in Ephesians 5, verse 12 says, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. And, you know, the, the world often talks about Light. I mean, you, you very rarely would have anybody refer to light as being a negative thing, right? Everybody believes that light is a good thing. But do you remember what it said about, about the Lord Jesus Christ in, in the Gospel of John when it talks about him being as the light that came into the world? And it, and it said that they rejected him because their deeds were evil. Light is, you know, we generally think of light as a good thing, but, you know, light is something that causes exposure, Light exposes things, and, and there's some things that most of us would rather keep in the darkness, keep hidden. Certainly the world, uh, many things that they would rather keep hidden. Uh, if, you, if you've ever lived in a place where you have problems with cockroaches, and you walk into the room and you turn on the light, what happens? They scatter, they head for the darkness. 
when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world as the, the light of the world, why, why did so many hate him and even want to put him to death? It was because that light exposed them. See, it made manifest. And they sought darkness. They didn't like the light. They didn't want to be in the light. And so often what the world refers to as light in a positive sense isn't really light at all. It's just something that, that covers up their darkness. Because the true light is something that exposes and reproves and makes manifest. And in the context of the passage, what's the light? In this passage, it's not talking about Christ as being the light. It's talking about you being the light, right? And, and that you ought to be the one that exposes that. Now, that won't make you a very popular person. It won't make you a popular person to, to point out those things. And, and just like when you turn on the light in the room and the cockroach is scattered, don't be surprised if you follow these verses, if you come into the room and some people scatter because they don't want to be around. Because the light makes manifest, right? And, and so he, he says, All things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, verse 14, it talks about those that sleep and those that are dead, but verse 14 is not addressed to unbelievers, um, in fact, there, the way it's written, it says, Wherefore he saith, and there's an assumption there that this is a quote from some Old Testament passage, but when you look at the, the commentaries or the, the cross-references, they'll give you various passages, and you go and look up the passage, and it's, it's not a quote of that passage. This isn't a quote of some Old Testament passage. Some people have even tried to say that it's a quote from, from some apocryphal work, or it's a, it, it was a, a saying of the day, or, or whatever. And none of that fits with what the verse says. Um, it, it says that God says this. So he's not quoting from some apocryphal book that wasn't written by God. He's not quoting from just some common saying of the day that wasn't written by God. Instead, this is, this is Paul, by revelation, telling you what God says. He's not quoting from some previous thing. He's saying, God says to you as a believer, you that sleep, wake up, awake, um, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now understand that in our position, in our position, we were made alive when we believed the gospel. But you can still live like you're dead, can't you? And, and this, is a, this is a command to a believer not, not to be asleep, not to be dead, not to be inactive, but rather to awake from the sleep, to rise from the dead, and that as you do that, Christ gives you even more light. You know that it's been said that um, God, when, when we're faithful to the light that we have, God will give us more light. And that's true. That's a principle you see throughout God's word. If, if God gives you a little bit of light, a little bit of truth, and you're not faithful to that, don't expect to continue to grow in, in your understanding and your knowledge because you're not faithful with, with what you have. But if you can be faithful with what little you have, that's how then you're going to grow. Uh, oftentimes the thing that holds Christians back in their spiritual growth is not that they don't study the Bible enough, although often we don't. It's not that they don't pray enough, although often we don't. But often it's that we, the, the things that we already know, the, the extent to which we've already grown, we're not faithful to that. And we're expecting God to continue to, to you know, give us some intellectual knowledge when we're not faithful to the things that we already know. And that's why, you know, you, you can look through church history 
And you can see great, great men of God, women of God, that accomplished great things for the glory of God. And yet, when you look at some of their their understanding of, of God's word and different things, you can see where they weren't right in some of their doctrine. They, in many cases, didn't have a real deep understanding of certain verses, but they were faithful to what they knew. They were faithful to the light that they had. They were willing to wake up from their sleep and, and rise from the dead, and, and uh, God was able to use that, you see. And, and so the Christian life is not just always about gaining and acquiring more knowledge and more understanding of God's word. It's about being faithful to the things that we know. It's about, okay, you understand who you are in Christ, right? You understand this exalted position. You understand all these blessings that you have. Now let your life reflect that. And, and not just as a, as a, a series of do's and don'ts and, and that, but you are something different on the inside. You are something different already. And if you're something different on the inside, your life on the outside ought to look different as well. Your life on the outside ought to look different from the world around you, just like light is different from dark. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.